Cancer Vet. I'm Tracy Hotchner, here with my co-host, Dr. Sue Ettinger, who is the Pet Cancer Vet. She's a board-certified oncologist who is here to help you understand and manage your pet's cancer so he or she can live longer and live well. If you'd like to hear more episodes of this show or any of the Pet Talk radio shows I co-host with experts, please go to RadioPetLady.com and visit the podcast libraries. The Pet Cancer Vet is a production of Pet Media Inc., Dr. Sue Ettinger, PPLC, which are solely responsible for its content. I also produce the New York Cat Film Festival, sponsored by Comfort Zone and Dr. Elsie's Precious Cat, and the New York Dog Film Festival, which travel the country year-round, celebrating the love between people and their pets, while benefiting local animal shelters that bring them together. More information is at dogfilmfestival.com and catfilmfestival.com. Dr. Sue, we have Sam with us from Aventura, Florida. He has a lovely 11-year-old cockapoo, Linda, who had mammary cancer. And some questions about the fact that she has also a history of acute pancreatitis. Sam, thank you so much for being with us and sharing your concerns about Linda and also your experience. I'm pleased to be with you as well. Thank you. Okay, wonderful. Dr. Sue, we haven't talked about mammary masses. We haven't talked about breast cancer in dogs. Can you kind of give us the 101? And we absolutely should be talking about them. So I'm glad, you know, not that I'm glad that Linda has cancer, but I'm glad that this gives us the opportunity to help other pet owners yes. with breast cancer. You know, so we call it mammary cancer in veterinary medicine, but we're talking about breast cancer. And, you know, it's a scary title, right? It's a scary yes. name because most, you know, I think what, one in five women, you know, are affected with breast cancer. In dogs, it's one of the most common cancers we see. And the good news is, is that half of them are benign and half of them are malignant. So, which is very different than women, which, you know, a, a much higher percentage are malignant. And half of the malignant ones are cured with surgery and do wow. chemotherapy. Yeah. So 75% of dogs that have breast cancer are cured with just surgery. So that's, you know, good and it kind of makes it a little less scary. But there are 25% of all the total ones that are malignant and are worrisome enough that I would potentially recommend chemotherapy after surgery. And in the case of Linda, Sam, there was lymphatic invasion. In other words, the, the cancer had gone into her lymph nodes, right? They, it it uh, did go through the, uh, uh, the lymph system, but uh, in the uh, pathologist report, uh, there was no uh, neoplasia within the uh, lymph node. And yet your, your oncologist still recommended chemotherapy. Do you know why that might be, yes. Sue, if, if in fact it hadn't spread? Yeah, so we look at a couple of different things. There's, you know, one of the main things is the tumor type. So it's an adenocarcinoma. So that tells us it's a malignant cancer of the glandular tissues of the mammary gland. And then we look at the grade. And so as in other cancers, Tracy, like we've talked about this in mast cell tumors, there's low, which is malignant but less aggressive. There's middle or intermediate grade, and then there are high-grade mammary adenocarcinomas. And so usually 
one of the things that may push us towards giving chemotherapy is going to be a high grade. Sometimes you'll hear other doctor words on the biopsy report as poorly differentiated, which just means, again, these cancer cells are looking more and more aggressive, and it's the more aggressive ones that have a greater likelihood to spread. And then another big risk factor for potential future spread is lymphatic invasion. And what that means is the cancer cells in the biopsy sample, in, the, in that mammary gland, are now in the lymphatics, which is sort of like the subway out, and that means that they have a greater likelihood of going to lymph nodes or going I to see. lungs or other organs. Sam, had your oncologist, before we get to the the very somewhat unusual and interesting fact that Linda has another underlying health issue, was that all explained to you pretty well? Yes, I did uh, discuss the the issue with with the uh, oncologist, and he pretty much uh, described the situation as uh, Dr. Ettinger Ettinger just did. Great. Indicating, I had asked, if we didn't pursue a chemotherapy course of action, what would be Linda's prognosis? And it wasn't very good. So looking, weighing the options to go or not to go through the chemotherapy, based on the prognosis alone, it, there was no argument for us, my wife and myself. We decided that that would be the best course to pursue. That, that, that makes sense to what to what. Dr. Sue is saying it's always good, isn't it, Dr. Sue, when another onco uh, shares your view or opinion or perspective because it's, it's sometimes very frustrating to discover that someone hasn't been to an oncologist and they really are are working with a doctor who isn't maybe up as up to speed about how to manage a situation. Yeah, and there are well, definitely we were very some fortunate uh, when. Linda began to show symptoms of this problem. Uh, our vet, um, I don't know, indirectly or directly said, you need to get uh, Linda to uh, this veterinary uh, hospital. That's great. Uh, in great. our area. Yeah. And that's, I'm sorry? No, I was going to say that's great. And, it, you know, we're always, you know, so supportive of general practitioners yes. who are making the recommendation for referral. And the, what I was going to say is these can be confusing because there are some clear-cut cases where you're going to put four oncologists in the room and we're going to say no chemo. <laughs> and then and then I think most of us, you know, for a case like Linda would agree, you know, with lymphatic invasion and the high grade, we're going to recommend chemo. But there are some that, like, have some which would make me say, well, that alone is good, but this is a little bit worrisome. So, you know, and that's why second opinions are always helpful because it's, and it's great when we agree, but sometimes we don't. So it is good to get multiple opinions without making yourself crazy. Right, (laughs) right. And to feel like you've covered all the bases. Well, well, the next thing that happened, and Linda's doing well now, right, Sam? So this is not like a, a sad ending to the story. You're still on the journey, Yes. We're still on the journey. Uh, she's had one session of chemotherapy, um, which uh, was, <clears throat> for lack of a better term, somewhat uneventful in that context, which is the good news. She had a small bout of uh, nausea, which uh, we were able to r- remedy with um, uh, serenia, I think it's called. Yep, yeah, serenia. Yeah. Yep. yep. Good job. <laughs> and uh, that helped that. And uh, after that bout of nausea, she, you know, she hasn't had any other symptoms other than in the first week or two, she slept a lot, uh, more than usual. Um, however, this week, she's a lot more active uh, and uh, 
she's more like herself uh, uh, prior to her uh, illness. Well, one of the things that so, I, I'd like uh, to talk about, what one thing I'd like to talk about is the fact that she has a history, I guess, of pancreatitis, or in any case, right before the surgery, she had a bout of acute pancreatitis. And Sue, I'm, I'm a little confused or concerned, and I, that's why I said, but Linda's doing well, right? Question mark, dot, dot, dot. That her chemo was delayed for two weeks after surgery, and then when a blood test showed that she was still having a pancreatic issue, it was delayed yet again. And I'd like to talk, you know, I'd like you to talk to the issue of whether it's pancreatitis or some other lying autoimmune disease or an issue like that, a digestive disorder, would you be delaying chemo? Well, it depends. So, you know, that I'll be honest, that pancreatic test is still relatively new within the last couple of years. Pancreatitis has been notoriously been hard to diagnose. It's typically something based on symptoms, vomiting, painful abdomen, ultrasound changes, but there's not one specific test. There is a test now, but, you know, working with other internists, um, the value that they put in that test alone without other symptoms, you know, is it's not just going to be if this test is positive, the dog automatically has pancreatitis or they're going to be treating for it but you know me tracy i am not an internal medicine specialist and your husband is I'm though up to date. right right but i'm up to date on you know all things cancer but not necessarily all things pancreatitis so if i had a dog that had this high test score but didn't have any other symptoms if if linda was eating well and no vomiting and if the score was just a little bit high i might not delay treatment but if the score was high and and Linda's not feeling well, right. then, yeah, you probably do want to delay because chemo could exacerbate a poor appetite or vomiting and things like that. So my big question for Sam is when chemo was delayed, was Linda not feeling well or was just the score high? Okay, let me just uh, roll back a little bit. Uh, after the surgery and when we sat down uh, with uh, the oncologist uh, with the biopsy results, he said that uh, typically they would commence uh, chemotherapy two weeks after the date of the surgery. Agreed, um, yep. And that was uh, uh, our starting date for chemotherapy. Okay, good. So that's good. That, that, that matches up the two-week two wait. Okay, that's good. Uh, she was due to have her chemo session on a Saturday. And uh, that Friday, I went to the... Uh, uh, primary care vet, and he did another CPL just to make to double check to make sure that uh, Linda didn't have any pancreatitis. That's that uh, um, uh, enzyme uh, enzyme test, uh, right? But but, but but Sam, as doctor, a positive or a negative, right? But Sam, as uh, do- Sam, as Doctor Sue just said, that test is not one hundred percent conclusive. That you understand that one of the reasons we're talking to you is not to second guess your doctors or say they made a mistake. It's so that other people listening, when they get a diagnosis of any kind of cancer, breast or otherwise, and there's some other thing going on with the dog's health, is to understand that not that every situation is going to be the same. It's not to say a doctor made a mistake or the number was X instead of Y. It's to sort of understand the overall picture. So you you got a test and the number was uh, high or not. That's a a qualitative test, not a quantitative. 
So that's a secret. Oh, I see. Yes. So right. On that Saturday, rather than going to for the, to start the uh, chemo, uh, we went to the uh, hospital. We met with the oncologist, and I sh- showed him the results, the test, uh, the test kit, and he said, "You know what? We'll do a quantitative test." Um, which they, they drew blood, uh-huh. and they did a quantitative test. Uh, in a, on several days later, it came back negative. In other words, her, uh, the enzyme level was within the acceptable range. Um, so we scheduled uh, her session for the next time they did, uh, which was the which was a Saturday, the following Saturday. Right. So we yeah we lost. So I so I guess. I'd love, I'd love Dr. Sue to speak just to the issue of, like, you have a dog with pancreatitis or a history of it or diabetes or whatever the issue may be, Dr. Sue. It, it, would it seem to you that in the case where you've gotten cancer out and now you've had the prescribed amount of waiting period before chemo starts that unless the dog is unwell and acting unwell, that that should probably be the priority or the thing to take precedence? Because as you said, these other tests take time to come back, and they're 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 not one hundred percent conclusive. I, I, I agree, Is that but I all? Think, you know, pretty much delaying chemo a week just to make sure that the dog didn't have pancreatitis, I think, is is fine. What would be frustrating are ones where it delayed six weeks, right? And then you have this really big lapse between surgery and the start right. of chemotherapy. And the good thing is, you know, so now that we kind of have that clarified by from Sam, the more the better test, which is the CPLI, that one, you know, confirmed that she didn't have pancreatitis. But again, that test alone, even if it was positive, and in my opinion, if she doesn't have abdominal pain and she's eating well and she's not vomiting, that test alone taken out of context is not perfect. So, you know, and that's often the case with oncology tests. Like we can't just say, oh, well, that test and take it out of yes. context. There are some drugs that if they have a history of pancreatitis, and this is why it's really good that you tell your vet if your dog ever did. So for lymphoma patients, Tracy, one of the drugs that we often use to get them in remission called LSPAR, L-asparaginase, is contraindicated. You shouldn't give it if the dog has had pancreatitis. And in like 7% of dogs, even if they haven't had it, they can get it. So if that, you know, if I was trying to give uh, Linda um, LSPAR, I she wouldn't get that. We'd have to find something else. So, but in this case, it sounds like you're on the right track, and you know, delaying it for just a few days not a big deal. So, Sam, to wrap up, how much more chemo are you looking at? How many more sessions? Goes, uh, according to plan, with uh, three week, three week nice. breaks in between each session. Um, in- incidentally, this week. Um, she started losing some hair around her snout. And that is because she, you said she's a cockapoo, and so it's the poo part. So most dogs uh, don't lose, it's the poodle part. So (laughs) she's part cockapoo, part poodle. Most dogs don't lose their hair coat, except because they don't have continuously growing hair like people. But there are a few breeds that do, including poodles, um, and I, made a right. few poodles look pretty pathetic the good news is sam is linda does not care no she doesn't <laughs> like she's not going to look in a mirror and feel horrible about herself so look at her with the same love and her hair will grow back after chemo and sometimes it's even softer and fluffier and more adorable than ever 
No, I'm, I'm okay with it. I, I know that... Oh, yeah, my so God, that's so sweet. The, the process is, is moving along with the side effects. That's true. That's right. That's right. And certainly we're losing uh, some hair. It's certainly not um, weight on a high scale of uh, intolerance. Exactly. Correct. Well, you know what? I think your attitude is great. You seem to have really understood the situation well. I hope that people listening get the sense that this is a, a really um, careful, thoughtful owner who's going the distance, but you know, with a lot of, of thoughtfulness. And she's going to come back with even cuter hair than before. So how nice is that? Sam, we're really glad that you called. I'm delighted that Dr. Sue supports all the decisions that you made and your primary care doctor and your oncologist. That's always just, it's very gratifying to us because it's such a scary time to go through and I'm wonderful that you were able to hook up in all the right ways for her and let's hope she gets lots and lots more good quality of life with you, okay? We really appreciate you being here and Dr. Sue, thank you so much as always for supporting all the people going through these difficult times with your good cheer and and, and you. positive Always an honor attitude. to be here.